weird waking up to Leafs practice news. So we're officially, I know they were already in Sweden, but no, we're officially covering the Leafs in Sweden now. So they're there. Woke up, I'm like, practice? Talking about practice? Only one thing of some note. I do think it's really cool the NHL does this. It's, it is tough with the time differences. It is going to be very odd doing a Leafs talk for a game that starts at 8 a.m. on a Sunday. I'm just glad it's done in time for football, so I've got no real complaints. Had it overlapped against the NFL, that would have been a nightmare. That would have been a faux pas. The, the Leafs have done already a couple Friday Saturdays, which to me is offensive as someone who covers each game and who reports on each game and, and does a show after each one. Leafs talk, subscribe and review. Do the same thing to this podcast, by the way, if you're listening to it right now. But there would be nothing greater. There would be no greater offense than the Sunday game. They, sometimes they do the, they used to do a, a lot of games actually on Sundays at like 630 and it was the worst because it would fall right in the witching hour of the four o'clock games and extend just long enough to make me miss some of the night game. Hated it. Hated it, hated it, hated it. I'll easily take the Friday. I'll take the Saturday over the Sunday in the afternoon. And I'll happily take the Sunday at 8 a.m. But yeah, so Klingberg's out. He didn't, he didn't practice. And this is going to be one of the oddities of the next couple of weeks here is what is the extent of this injury? He comes out, people think, all right, this is, a, this is a coach protecting his player. This is a coach who recognizes a guy is getting full whipping boy status while also acknowledging that the play is simply not even close to being up to par. So he sits him for a game. But of course, Klingberg, it's, it's just like uh, how you want to get out of the NHL All-Star game or something. You got to take like a game off before that. You got to practice before you play a game. Klingberg gets in the following night against Vancouver and he plays arguably his most solid defensive game of the season. I don't know if it's his best game. I actually liked a couple of Klingberg's performances early on in the year. I've always liked the way the guy breaks the puck out. I like the way that he is on power play one, but yeah, he's, he was awful on the Friday night game, just truly brutal, awful defensive zone coverages, but then we're getting clips of, Hey, look, this guy can't move properly. This guy looks really stiff. Maybe, maybe, some of the inability to cover his own space has to do with the fact that he's hurt. So people go, oh, all right, maybe get the benefit of the doubt. Even, it even starts getting spoken by guys like Kipper. Hey, don't be shocked if this turns into a Robida Island situation. And everybody's ears perk up. And you go, whoa, maybe this signing makes a little bit more sense now. Maybe all along they had the hush, hush, wink, wink. Hey, Depending on how this goes, you're good to play ball with whatever we want, with however we need this to go. Hush, hush, wink, wink. Of course, however we need it to go, meaning I could potentially end up being the seventh defenseman. I would play ball with that. Hush, hush, wink, wink. But now, if he doesn't play in Sweden, I think we have to say that the, the injury is very legit and that that conversation comes back on the table. Because this guy, you know he wants to play there. I've already seen the crowds for practices. I've already seen all the people that are excited for these games there, a bunch of the players that are excited for these games there, what it means to Sweden to have this thing. So, yeah, if, if Klingberg doesn't play, if he's not able to go, I'm, I'm going to read a lot into that. I'm going to assume that the injury thing is real and that, yeah, those little reports, those... 
those things from Kipper that maybe they're maybe there's something to watch out for again. Because again, when he jumped back in on the Saturday game, I thought, yeah, yeah, no, 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 he's fine. He's playing. He's going to Sweden. He'll he'll be all right. He'll bounce back. He'll do this thing. It'll be fine. Now, mm, not so sure. Anyway. Uh, Jeff Merrick of the Jeff Merrick Show and 32 Thoughts. Good morning, sir. How are we doing? How's the dog? Yeah, just walking with Astro. Daily okay. walk. Yeah. Stretch yeah, the legs. Here Part we go. Of the more, dog. More, him wa- more him walking me. Uh, I am thinking about getting a dog, but it's just, it's, I don't know. I, I'm on the fence. Part of it is that I, I want companionship for walks. I like walks, and I'm like, it would be yeah. nice to have a dog here for this. Yes, always great. Um, I, re- I recommend uh, using rescue shelters. Uh, that's where our families always turned. Mm-hmm. It is one of the best things you can do in your life. You're a better guy. I than highly me. recommend. Not true. No, that you are. Um, and and I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm vain. I need some kind of like show dog. <laughs> you know, I gotta have, I gotta have a dog <laughs> that of, when I'm what, walking what it to dog? the. I, what kind of dog are you thinking? Of? I really love Dobermans. And oh, great dogs. Yeah, great dogs. Yeah, we had one when we were a little kid for a short stint, and I yeah. love them, love them, love them. And I, I'm pretty basic. I like I like labs. I, I just like a big, beautiful, yeah. like purebred dog. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I wish I could rescue all the dogs. I love dogs, but, yeah, I just, you know, I'm vain. <laughs> I want to like be at Bill the park Burr and people says. go, like what, is that like your dog? I like what Bill Burr says, which is, mm. Stop calling them rescue dogs. They're free dogs. Yeah. That's why you got them. It's a free, <laughs> yeah. it's a free dog. <laughs> yeah, that is good. I love that. Uh, okay, so I was talking about Sweden and all these guys and how excited yeah. Nylander is. And, hey, maybe actually there is some type of an injury to Klingberg. But before we, you know, get into anything actually hockey related, I, was, I, I really wanted your thought on this. Who do you think is the face of Swedish hockey right now? Does, does it have a guy that you know, they would market, they would choose to market. Cause I feel like maybe Nylander is becoming that guy, but it yeah. wasn't always that guy, but now maybe he is. It's, it's interesting because you know, the, 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 the face of Swedish hockey uh, over there is sometimes different than it is over here. Like when you look at, you know, the Peter Forsberg era, mm-hmm. right? Like Peter Forsberg, Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever play. Like we all looked at Peter Forsberg or Nicholas Lidstrom, who I yeah. still think is the greatest defenseman to ever play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, Matt Sundin was always the face mm-hmm. of Swedish hockey. Like in Sweden, Matt Sundin was the guy. Sure, there was like ample respect for the Forsbergs and, and the Nicholas Lidstroms. And we looked at those two players over here and said, holy smokes, like these are two of the the greatest to ever do it, but Matt Sundin was always considered the face of, of Swedish hockey. So uh, I, I think what the face is here is different than it is over in Sweden. Um, you know, it's funny too. I always thought that as maybe as, although he had a really good game last night, I always thought that Jacob Barkstrom had the, had, a, had a chance to be that guy, had a chance to be the, the face of Swedish hockey. If that's hockey, the case, you know, it's insane. If, the, if that's the case, no, you got to go to Sweden and give everybody a talking to and be like, what do you guys do? I, 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 I think Nylander is very much uh, in that conversation uh, not just because of listen, not just because of who he is and what he's doing right now, but also, you know, it's a family story mm-hmm. in Sweden. You know, like the Nylanders are a, a wonderful hockey story in Sweden. Not unlike what the the Sedins, uh, are, or even if you go to Germany with the Dreisaitl family with uh, Leon's dad Peter, and what mm-hmm. he meant to uh, to German hockey. But I would have to think that Nylanders definitely right there. Um, I mean, you can make the argument he's the best Swedish hockey player right now mm-hmm. in the world today. Um, and he does have, like, the, the one thing that I love about Nylander is he seems built for a, an intense hockey market. 
Mm-hmm. Like whether it's like we've all seen the picture on the subway, that's William Nylander. Like nothing phases this guy. Like when you look at what it takes to play in a hyper market like Toronto, you need a good, like you need to take an I don't give an F pill, right? Like you really do. Um, and Austin Matthews has taken that pill. And William Nylander clearly has as well. Nothing phases this guy. And this guy for the longest time has heard and read and seen everything negative written and said about him for years. And he shrugs it off mm. and he doesn't let him affect. It like, doesn't let it affect them. Like to me, he's like, I always, it's interesting, JD. I, I always had a, had a, had a real respect for Dion Phaneuf because Phaneuf heard everything about his game and was slandered and insulted. And we all know how many police fans are when they pick one defenseman and you're going to bring up John Klingberg as the most recent example, they pick one defenseman and they get on that defenseman and it is over for that defenseman. Dion Phaneuf for the longest time was that guy. It didn't bother him in the slightest. He got out in front of every camera, did every interview. Like it takes a certain type of player to play in a really big, you know, hyper intense hockey market. Phaneuf had it. Sundin obviously had it. And I think Nylander has that as well. Matthews has it, et cetera. I think there are some players on the Maple Leafs who don't, mm. uh, who say they do, but they really don't. But uh, I think Nylander is a, the, the kind, of a, kind of a perfect player for the Toronto market, don't you think? Uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, I do think so. Um, I still think that this is a market that really loves blue-collar players the most. So you can be a beautiful finisher. You can be... But ultimately... The like this is a team that built itself around the passion that unites us, and I think that there was a reason for that. And I'm not sure, like as skilled as Nylander is, if that will ever resonate with across the board the fans the way that it it does with some of the other players. I think for younger generation of fans, that Nylander is definitely their guy. I think that he's a totem for a, a lot of young Leaf fans. Uh, older, I'm I'm not sure he'll ever resonate quite that way, especially without you know some kind of meaningful playoff success. But I do think there's a real chance for him to be the face of Swedish hockey because I think he maybe inherits part of the Sundin thing that you mentioned. That my guess would be, if you had to tell me the two most popular teams in Sweden, that they would be the Red Wings and the Maple Leafs because of yeah. the the stars that have been there and just the continuity of both of those places having Swedish players year over year over year that were meaningful. And so now with Detroit not having that. And Toronto having Nylander, I would just think that, yeah, maybe he, he is the guy. My, thought, my original thought was that it would be Eric Carlson, not Victor Hedman, just because Carlson's the more entertaining, engaging, whatever. Like, he's just, yeah, he's, yeah. he's just a more marketable guy than Hedman, who does more work in the shadows. Uh, yep. Won Stanley Cups, but still, like, if you go and say, who are the most visible players of the Tampa Bay Lightning teams, we'd probably say he's the second most important to Vasilevsky. But in terms of just the, the flash and the aura, I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's him. But either way, I just, yeah, I, I wondered if this is a pretty unique opportunity for Nylander especially to be there, more so than some of the other guys that are getting this shot. There's, there's a couple of things there. One, um, the blue collar, there's, there's, there's a lot in there. Uh, yeah. So first of all, the, the blue collar thing, uh-huh. I think every, don't you get a feeling though that every market is like that? That every market, oh, they like blue collar hockey players. Sure. Yes, every, yes, every, but every which, is, like which is strange with the way that the NHL has decided to go where they're like, we want as few of those guys as possible now. <laughs> we're going to develop, <laughs> we're going to go with just skill, skill, skill. And I've said it a yeah. million times that I don't believe that this is a league that survives, or I shouldn't say survives, but excels as a skill alone league like it just it's there's, not 
I think I think there's only so far the league is comfortable going with the tough, rugged slash violent player, considering the nature of litigation. Mm. <laughs> um, anyhow, but the the other thing that you mentioned there with, with Toronto and blue collar guys. Listen, one of the most beloved athletes Toronto has ever seen in any sport is Borja Salming, and we saw the outpouring last year. Mm. We've seen you know the uh, the movies and the documentaries and how Salming is is thought of to this day. Like the the two guys that I you know, that, uh, that were my guys growing up in, in, uh, in, in southwestern Ontario. I mean, Mike Palmatier and mm-hmm. Boreas Salming. And we all remember Salming, smooth skating defenseman, uh, endured, got beaten up by the Philadelphia Flyers. But I mean, that's Mel so Bridgman much of fight it. fight is legendary. Like, all of it. Like, but all that... of it. Oh, getting, getting, pu- getting pushed around. Yeah. Oh, here's the, here's, the stereo, here's the stereotypes of, you know, Swedish players that won't, that won't fight back. And, and his story was kind of... And this is going to sound maybe a stretch here, but mm-hmm. you know, if if you look at the nature of what Canada is, it's the story of endurance and survival, and that's kind of what Salming did, and we saw him every single night. Mm-hmm. He endured and he survived, and he never quit. But I think you know, that's blue collar. Well, I th- see. I think that's blue collar too. But people consider that to be oh, he's a you know soft skilled sweet. No, dude, look always, at his face. He's got a massive scar. He looked like well, a. He got know. stepped on by <laughs> Gerard Gallant. But, but that's mean. what I'm saying is you couldn't say, hey, look at that old softy with the world's hardest body. Like I've I've told this a million times, but I did one of the hockey hall of fame games. I think maybe 2013. I covered yeah. it 2012, and I I'll still. There's, there's two times where I was like, dude, don't stare at a guy in a locker room. And one was Blake Griffin and the other was Boreas <laughs> Salming. Where I was like, you got to just not stare at this guy. And I was like, how old is like, – immediately upon leaving, Googling how old is Boreas Salming, that was the first thing I did when I left the dressing room. I just – I think that part of that mythos of just – willing to stand up against everything and the fact that Canada and the United States, both immigrant countries being able to relate to that story and knowing that that is so much of the toughness of an immigrant nation is having to endure the doubts of people and then overcoming them and showing back up to work every single day. Like I think about my own grandfather being, you know, in the mines having to deal with stuff like that and being an immigrant. So no, I, I just, I don't view him as like, there's a soft skill player who wasn't just like viewed as tough. I think he blends both, which is what ultimately everybody wants to have. Right. But hold on. What this- I, well, hang on. Hang on. Well, yeah. let, me, let me, hang on. Let me just jump in for one second. Yeah. What I'm saying is at that time, he was, that's viewed as what soft. he was considered yeah. by many. Now yeah, we have a historical there. lens. We have a historical lens. We see that through mm-hmm. and we look at the entirety of Boris Salmi's career and you can make the argument. He might've been one of the toughest players yeah. to ever play, to ever play I mean. the game. Like, I, I agree with you 100%. But at that time, make no mistake about it, because it was Borja Salming and Inga Hammerstrom and all the, you know, the Harold Ballard line about he can skate in the corner with, you know, a dozen eggs in his pockets and come out without one single egg broken. Like, mm-hmm. that was the reputation and that was the stereotype. Again, to the point about enduring everything. Like, there are a lot of critics of Borja Salming. Like, ask mm-hmm. Gordy Selleck this. Like, Gordy, Gordy knows better than, better than you and me. Like, what, what it was like to be Borja Salming at that time. But he had that endurance mentality, and he had an internal toughness that no one is going to beat me. No one is going to make me quit. No one is going to make me surrender. That was Maurice mm-hmm. Solomon. And yeah. great skill. And probably still, like, if he was in the NHL right now, he'd still be the best skater.
Yeah, and that's why, you know, he's got a movie about him now. And that's why he, yeah, he's revered the way that he is. Okay, so I'm going to try to rapid fire these couple things. So because of blue collar and toughness and hitting and there's not (laughs) as many of these things, I do feel like a guy like Zadorov has even more trade value, right? Because it's not just the size. It's not just the 14 goals last year. It's like, hey, how many guys are available that are going to actually thump somebody when they put their head down? Um, Luke Fox reported if it were just about draft picks, it would have been already done. W- what's your read on like how expensive it is going to get for this player and, and how, yeah, how, how in it do you really view the Leafs? Big time. I think they want both the door off and Tanev. I don't think they just want one, but they'll, they'll take one. I mean, Brad for a living, make no mistake about it. Want to redo this blue line. Mm. Like the Toronto Maple Leafs blue line, have a look at it right now and have a look at it at trade deadline. It will, if Brad for a living can do what he wants to do, look profoundly different. Um, the point about Zadorov is actually also a point about Vegas and is a point about Tampa and is a point about Colorado as well. You know, the consistency with those teams is big defensemen, long reach, long sticks, cover a lot of area in your own zone. Like we're kind of moving back to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of, you know, what's the old Tom Watt line of what he wants his blue line to look like? Virile, agile, hostile dancing bears. Like we're kind of go- getting back to that a little bit right now. Like, how did Vegas win the Stanley Cup last year? The blue one. Yeah, Eichel was great. Marcia So was great. Uh, Aiden Hill had made the saves he had to make. But that blue line just snuffed out other teams, like, quickly. It was over. Like, no, 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 uh, no offensive zone time for anyone playing against the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think teams look at, you know, how much of a copycat league it is. But I don't think it's just Vegas. I also think it's Tampa. And to an extent, I think it's Colorado. I think people look at that and saying, if you have a chance to bring in someone who can influence that much ice mm-hmm. while he's out there and force teams to keep their head up, you take a shot at getting that guy. Yeah, I think the uh, I think that's a point well taken. And this is always the way that leagues go, right? Is that it, it's always one way, one way, one way. Hey, you want to have like the NBA just went through this with, hey, everybody needs to be a six foot nine shooter to the point where the Raptors went, let's build a whole team of six foot nine shooters. This will obviously work. And it didn't Uh at all. And you know what the new thing is in the NBA? Big guys. (laughs) It's like, oh, who knew? (laughs) It's about the seven footers again. It's the same with hockey. It's like, who knew that the physical big defenseman that can eat 20 minutes a night might be more important than the small skilled forwards but that said i feel like if if we're talking the leafs are in on those two guys yeah then we're talking like a pretty massive price especially to make the money work going the other way yeah this feels like it's got to involve uh like a a fraser minton how much is even the value of a guy like robertson after a a short stint like this yeah i know oof but like they're not getting this is what i love is i saw one guy do a trade proposal that was like Leafs give up Klingberg and uh, this pick, and they get back uh, a second-round pick, and they get Zadorov. And I went, we're still doing this in 2023. No, no, Leaf fans no. are still doing Azer. this. Yeah, that's what I mean. If you're getting those two guys and you're moving the money out, like you're paying. how much? You're paying, and 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 you're probably and you're probably paying a lot. And do they have to move money? Of course they do. Like mm. this this one to me, like I, again, like it, it may end up being a, a small a smallish deal just involving one player or two players and, and a couple of picks going the other way. Mm-hmm. But doesn't this kind of line up considering what tree living wants to do and knowing that Calgary um, has two of the assets that Brad for living really covets. Um, and that is Tanev and Zadorov. Doesn't it feel like, like I don't think it's going to be like a, a, a Fletcher Risebrow deal. Like I don't think it's going to be like that big, mm-hmm. but doesn't it feel like we may get as close to an old fashioned big high. If this happens, 
uh, a, a, a big old-fashioned multiplayer hockey deal here? I hope so. Hey, I know you got to go, so just yes or no. Yes or no to the overtime rule change proposal of shot clock slash uh, no zone exit. Yeah, I think with I think with shot clock, I think defenders will just sit back and allow shots like low percentage shots from everywhere, and that's kind of dull. Um, you know, I, I was on a panel with Scott Howes in a prime time yesterday, and, and his idea uh, was once you get the offensive zone, if you take it deliberately out of the offensive zone, you surrender possession right mm-hmm. away. I don't know, like look, tongue in cheek, but I'll, I'll say it, and we all know that it's true. When when the overtime started in the NHL, it was great. It was sprint, 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 sprint. The coaches didn't know what to do with it, and we said it's only a matter of time before the coaches get their hooks in this thing and they dumb it down or bore it down, and that's what happened. That's what happened. Originally, coaches right. didn't know how to coach three on three. Now they know how to get how to like how to coach three on three. Maybe the solution, JD, is when the overtime starts, you kick the coaches off the bench. Okay, see, I knew you'd have a good answer for this. But you got, anyway, all right. Yeah, is it, get, the yes or, or no, yeah, I was like, hey, yes or no? And you're like, you one? said you <laughs> said yes. Like, I, you gave me a, a minute and a half long answer, and it was me, of like, me, yes, he wants it let changed. Me, let, me, let, me give you, let me give you one more idea here. Yeah. You can't do a neutral zone regroup if there's no neutral zone. How about just getting ignoring the lines for overtime? Yeah, I mean, that, except for that only makes it, you know, even... Yeah, I think that makes it even more the possession thing where you're just skating it around and passing it all the way back. And I don't know. I, I, let me think about that. I, you, you hit me with that off the fly. And on, <laughs> on the surface, it feels like I prefer the coaches off the bench thing where it's like, get out of here. <laughs> I just think fun. that'd be a funny Watch visual it. to be like, Making and now <laughs> here go the coaches. <laughs> like, nice. That would be and fun. All the players are like, oh, this is yeah. so good. Yeah, but watch how many too many men on the ice calls yeah. there'll be. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. No, that that part <laughs> I really like. Uh, Jeff, thanks for the time today, brother. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> thanks, JD. Be good. Uh, Jeff Merrick. Jeff Merrick Show and 32 Thoughts. Okay, so my thought with the overtime thing, and if you haven't seen it, there are reports that uh, this was from Frank Cervelli yesterday. Uh, Colin Campbell says the GMs discussed the idea of changing the rule to limit the teams from continuously looping back and regrouping in three-on-three overtime. Potential solutions. Once you cross the red or blue line, you can't go back again or a shot clock. Okay. A couple things here. That's the end quote, by the way. One, shot clock, no. Please, God, no. That's the dumbest thing. <laughs> I can't even believe that's a thing. Why would you want to rush the play? Awful. Awful idea. Scrap that immediately. Merrick's coaches being gone is a better idea. I don't, I don't know about you. I hadn't really thought of this as a problem. I was watching overtimes and guys would loop it back and I'd feel like, hey, the draw is huge. Win the draw. And then if you make a mistake and the other team picks up possession, it's a huge punishment because they're not likely to give it up to you and you could have guys who are stuck on the ice and that it should finish. I do think this is just anecdotal. I do feel as though there's more shootouts lately because of this, because teams are holding on to the puck more and it's less flying up and down the ice and, and less just immediately like, okay, this game is over in, in two minutes, less of a exchanging of opportunities potentially than it, than it has been in the past. But I'm just, again, this is just me riffing on this. I, I don't know if this is actually true. I'd need to, Bourne is all in love with that new site. He's tweeting about it all the time. He's like, did you know a stat that you didn't care about? And I went, no, I didn't. Thank you, Justin. He's, he's all about it. So follow Bourne, and he'll give you those stats about attempts. Anyway, overtime attempts. 
I, I don't see a problem with overtime. I enjoy three-on-three overtime. I think it's fine. And I've been on record about this for a very, very long time. I don't mind the occasional shootout. I didn't like it when it was the automatic solution and how it, it just, I don't like that it, uh, in a big game, if it's the World Juniors, I hate, hate, hate a shootout. In the NHL regular season, I understand these guys, we all have lives to live here. Wrap it up. End the game. Was it not fun watching Max Domi rip that one the other night? I thought so. I, I feel like people just needed to hate on the shootout for a really long time. They desperately needed something that they could just hate because that's what part of sports fandom is. But if we're talking about things we need to change in hockey today, right now, 2023, this is it. This is what the league circled. This we're, we're less than a year removed from Gary Bettman sitting there at the, what is it? The GM meetings or one of the million NHL meetings. That's basically for nothing. They sit down, they tell the fans, and he stands in front of everybody, and the media grills them. I remember I had Frank Cervelli on the next day, and they go, the game is perfect. We've nailed it. We've got a perfect product. All the skill. No changes necessary. The boards, the advertisements on the boards, we love them. So what if no one can see the puck? So what if players just disappear into the board? It's part of the fun. Get with it. Get with the times. It's 2023 technology. So fun. Wow. Everything is perfect. It's the Lego song. Everything is awesome. That was Gary Bettman standing at the podium a year ago. And now all of a sudden, overtime is the thing you come for? This is shocking. This is a shocking development. I'm, I'm like, please, NHL, think about ways that you can be better. Think about ways that you can improve this product. I'm going to talk to Bobby Marks today about... The NBA's need, because the, the NBA is trying to innovate. They're doing this in-season tournament, but they're doing some batty things right now in the NBA. They are doing some wild stuff with the officiating, and they, they got to get in control of it. They got to figure out what kind of a league they want to be, what kind of a product they want, and whether or not these regular season games actually matter or not. Tell One way or, or not to the fans. But, at, like, good, give the NBA credit. They're, they continuously are trying things. Over and over and over again. They're, all right, let's figure it out. To the point where now there's even circulation in the NBA about really, really wild ideas. About ways to change the game and change the regular season and change home court advantages and change playoff. Uh, it's, there's tons. There's tons, there's tons, there's tons. The NHL, it's always like, eh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Huh, that's the game is the game. All right. For one second, we had make the nets bigger. <laughs> that went away immediately. Everything else, eh, whatever, status quo, just keep it the same, keep it the same, keep it the same. Oh, hitting, it's too dangerous, less hitting. Less hitting, less hitting, less hitting. All right, cool. Every player is the same, got it. There's a couple players that you actually want to pay money to see in the NHL. One of them's hurt right now. One of them's banged up. Good stuff, cool. All right. Overtime. Wasn't expecting that they were going to come for overtime. Just leave it. It's, it's totally fine. It's, it's 100% fine. If you're going to do something, try it in, I don't know, the AHL. Do it like baseball does it. Have a testing ground. See how it works out. See if it actually materially improves the product before you actually tinker with the NHL and do something drastic. Because, again, if, if you ask hockey fans, most people, hey, what do you actually like right now? What, what do you really love universally across the game? I would say overtime is one of them. I, I don't think that there's too many hockey fans that think, Three-on-three three is a bad thing. The only complaint we had was, should it be longer? But, again, you've got to be realistic with some of these players and say, can't grind them into dust. 
can't have guys playing 10 minute three on threes. Look how tired they look. And so I kept feel I felt that way the other night when the Leafs had to go to the shootout was I, I wish I could have live bet who was going to score on the shootout because I thought there's absolutely no way that Austin Matthews is going to score here. He's got extreme tired brain. His he's got no oxygen. He's just skated for basically that full five minutes in that overtime. He needs a break. He needs a break. So yeah, NHL, just do this. Do this. Pitch the ideas. Pitch the idea. Discuss changing rules. Discuss changing things about the game. You, you don't have to be fearful of tinkering with stuff, especially now, modern era, with all the, the competition of interests, the different streaming platforms, different social media apps, everything that you have is, is a competitor to you. You want people to sit down. Hell, yesterday, guess what? I Flat out, I, I'll just say it. Yesterday, all I did was watch basketball. I tuned in for a couple hockey games for a couple minutes. There was the end of very end of the night. I tuned into the Panthers-Sharks game because the Panthers blew a lead, and then they fell down, and I went, oh, this will be interesting, and then they proceeded to beat the brakes off the Sharks, and it was right after the basketball games ended. I checked in on the Bruins game for a little while. It was Bruins, pretty standard Bruins win, and I went, all right. Bruins, cool. And then I mostly watch basketball. I mostly watch basketball. You know why? Because they had the in-season tournament. So I watched all the games, and I went, oh, let me see this. They had all these games. They, it was supposed to be something new, and I wanted to see what the newness would look like. And so I ended up watching uh, one, two, three, four, five, six games yesterday, six basketball games. I watched the entirety. This is how much of a sicko I am. I chose to watch essentially the entirety of a Charlotte Hornets Miami Heat game. No joke. Watch basically ask me anything from that game. I can tell you what happened. I basically watched the entirety of that game because of innovation, because of something new on a normal night. There's 0% chance. I would have even wasted a moment watching that. But to me, there was a little added something going, let me see what LaMelo ball looks like in a game that kind of matters. And I watched. So NHL, please do this. Please continue to innovate, but just not like this. Anyway, um, you got this is something there. You, you've had your finger on the, the mic button for like half an hour. You look so desperate, Armin, to say something. I feel like I'm cutting you off. Am I bothering you? No, not at all. Not yeah, at okay, all. That's good. That's, that's, that's good. Okay. Good. I was going to say, like, the NBA's, the NBA will introduce stuff too and then take it away if it's not working, if the fans yeah. don't like it. So it goes to your testing. Maybe you got to try it out and then not be afraid to pull it back. Mm-hmm. Like flopping, I love the new flopping for like getting the technical. Free throw yeah, right I do like there. That. They did that nail case. that. They did nail that. I love the reaction from the players now, too, when they're getting it. They're like, oh. also, just a quick side note on the flopping thing. I saw your boy LeBron was mic'd up yesterday. Yeah. And he, if LeBron pulled down Jaron Jackson Jr., sorry, if Jaron Jackson Jr. pulled down LeBron the way that LeBron pulled down JJ, LeBron would have asked for the Paul Pierce stretcher. He would have complained to the league. He would have sent a, a, a memorandum and said, please, to who it may concern, everyone in the league, please look at this act of violence and consider, please consider suspending Jaron Jackson Jr. <laughs> for at least 20 games because this is, this is essentially the malice at the palace. But for me, I was assaulted. I was attacked. Someone ran up into my personal space and, and hit me and... I don't know if I'll ever recover quite the same way he would have. And for him, for of all the players in the history of the NBA, truly for all of the players in the history of the NBA, for him to do that and then mic'd up, go 
really, JJ? Yeah. Really, I really pulled you down that hard. By the way, he does pull him down hard. That wasn't does, the time for that. That made does, no does sense. JJ, yeah, he did pull does, does Jared Jackson Jr. actually, I don't know if some of you have seen this clip, so this is probably too much of a deep cut. But if you go and watch it, he definitely pulls him down with force. There's no question. Jared Jackson Jr. is like six foot 11 and jacked. So he probably adds a little bit of English to it because that's just sports and that's the NBA. That's everywhere. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely not a flop. And LeBron is incredulous that this guy has fallen down despite LeBron grabbing him from behind, two hands on both shoulders, pulling him down to the ground, clearly a frustration foul, and then starts to berate him for being a flopper. The, it was just it, like in a, the, the lack of self-awareness that LeBron has sometimes is mystifying. But this was one where I stared at it and went, this, this cannot be real. I actually think that this might be... This might be a troll of AI where they have the face swap, they have the AI technologies, and they're trying to see how dumb we are to see what kind of things we would believe actually happen. Like LeBron criticizing another player for embellishing a flop. There's no way on a mic'd up night that LeBron would do such a thing, knowing that people are going to see this. But in fact, it was real. It was not a deep fake. It was reality. It was not AI. LeBron did do that. Anyways, I, I do want to talk. I've got Bobby Marks coming up. In uh, not too long here, actually, 10 o'clock. We got, we got 10 o'clock with Bobby Marks. And I, I do have a few things for him, including, yeah, the Clippers disaster. Uh, all of a sudden, Zach Levine is available for trade. And this would be, if it does happen. Juicy. That, well, I don't even really know if it is. That's the thing. It's like, I don't even really know if it's that juicy. Like, if you, the, the question I have for him is essentially this, is do you really want to trade for Zach Levine unless you're a place that, is getting him on the chief. Like, do you really want to push assets in the middle to get Zach Levine at this point of the year, knowing that something else could happen? Like, say Siakam becomes available. Would you rather have Siakam or Levine? I'd rather have Siakam. No question. Like, yeah, no, dude, of I course. Think have it you depends ever watched Zach Levine fit. play? I think it depends on your team fit, too. Have, have you ever watched Zach Levine play? For sure. But How I many think times be... has Zach Levine been on a winning basketball team where Never. you thought, man, these, these guys are... One the... playoff win in his seven yeah. seasons in Chicago. Yeah, no, Zach Levine is... Is it different? He's like Harden. It's just he has to have the ball in his hands. He's going to take a bunch of he's going to take a bunch of shots. He's going to dictate the pace of your team, and teams should be looking at the Harden situation, learning from this, and going, hmm, maybe we should just kind of see what we have and stick out what we have, rather than go get a ball stopper who's going to dribble it for the first twenty seconds of the shot clock before hoisting up a three. Like I don't. If, if the Raptors Zach's traded for Zach Levine tomorrow, it would feel exactly like the Rudy gay trade where I would go, why did they get this guy? And someone would say, well, who else were they going to get as the only argument? Oh, well, they need shooting. I would go, I don't think this is the kind of shooting that you want on your team. Anyway, I'm not a big Zach Levine guy. I never have going back to when I first started to care about the Timberwolves because of Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett. And I went, Oh, maybe this is a something. And then Zach Levine was there and he was like, I'll be the show. Oh, don't worry, everyone. I'll take all the shots. I know you've got the two first overall picks, but I'll be the guy that takes all these. And they had to get him out of town. And now the Bulls are like, oh, crap, I can't believe it didn't work with the volume shooter. I can't believe he's not I mean, happy. They gave that, that team had nothing as a Doesn't roster matter. either in his time there. I just think he's less steeped in his ways than a James Harden. He'll be more willing to adapt. <sighs> okay, He'll be sure. more adaptable. All I'm saying is that guy is courtside a Kentucky game with Rich Paul after announcing he wants to trade wearing the B-clutch. Yep sweatshirt yep. if you think that that guy's not a diva or that guy doesn't like attention or He'll, that guy's not going to come in and potentially disrupt the culture you're out of your damn mind well if so, he goes to a team with set culture like the lakers 
It's not up to it. him to change yeah. anything. And he will move the needle for the Lake Show. Dude, I he love will. I love that the Lakers really want, first of all, the biggest part of this trade is the idea that you would get Alex Caruso back. So the funniest part of this, the whole Lakers trade, because I've seen the mocks. I was on I was on social yesterday. We're doing Zach Levine now, and we're not doing this later. And I'll I'll talk about some of the other stuff after the break. The funniest thing about you Laker fans is that it was an entire offseason of praising Austin Reeves and being like, I think Austin Reeves is the guy that really unlocks this team. Team USA, look, he's playing on Team USA, and he's like meaningful on Team USA. He's one of their guys. Bud. Two weeks of, of not exactly what you thought from Austin Reeves, and you want to bring back Alex Caruso, who you let walk for nothing, by the way, GM LeBron, could have kept Caruso, could have made sure that they had one of their most important players on the team, a guy that everybody knew was one of the most important players on the team, mm-hmm. except for GM LeBron. And Caruso, by the way, this is, this is where I'm at. Unquestionably, this is where it's so funny about the NBA. If you told me, hey, you could get Alex Caruso or Zach Levine, I would be like, oh my God, Raptors, get in on the Caruso sweepstakes. That guy is a dog. But he- he, get get in on Caruso. Get in on Caruso. At, uh, just figure out a way. Figure out a way to bring that player in there. He's going to fit no matter what team that you put him on. Like, could you yeah, imagine if Caruso got put on Denver as the, you know, Bruce Brown? They have the K- KCP, but, that exact mold that the Lakers that's, lost too. But, but that's it because LeBron chased away everybody of value and brought in <laughs> Russell Westbrook. He's like, we got to move everything. All I'm saying is it's hilarious to me that I saw this thing and I went, okay, so they want back Alex Caruso now because they realized the mistake. But also they want to bring in Zach Levine while moving out Austin Reeves, moving out another first-round pick to mortgage more of the future for LeBron James. And what? They have to move D'Angelo Russell out, right? Another guy that they brought in and thought was going to be this dude. Basically, Zach Levine is just D'Angelo Russell plus. They just want a better D'Angelo Russell. This is amazing. I really hope the Lakers do this. There would be nothing funnier. Nothing, nothing funnier than the Lakers giving up on Austin Reeves immediately. Just automatically, like, they find this diamond in a rough player. They actually nail it. He works out perfectly with the team. He goes through a couple weeks of trials and tribulations. By the way, this this is why it's so understandable. If you're a fan of basketball and hockey and you're a Leaf fan and you wonder why people hate Leaf fans, all you need to do is watch the discourse with the Lakers and you immediately should uh, understand yourselves a little bit better because we are the Lakers of the NHL in terms of this is the exact thing. Player becomes available. We make up a fake trade that involves giving up on someone too early or just completely unrealistic expectations of what would be going out the door would be. Uh, We always uh, eulogize players that left and then wonder why we let them go just like Lakers fans do. Um, we accommodate and bend the knee to superstars, much like the Lakers now are doing to LeBron James. We do it here in Toronto with Austin Matthews and co where they're getting everything. Um, and to the point now where we're just, we're in on it. Like Nylander has put together what Leafs are 20 games into the season. Not even, no, what is this? The 15, 15 games of the season. And everyone, including myself has already agreed. Just give Nylander the, the same deal as Austin Matthews. Just, like, just pay him. Just give him a ton of money. Just give him whatever he wants because we're terrified of losing stars. We feel like we deserve them, but this would be an all-timer. I personally, again, we'll find out from Bobby how many teams would be interested. Personally, the only raid that I would want is Zach Levine is if um, a franchise like, like if OKC wasn't good. Like if, if I'm, you know, a team, you know, who would do well with him, but it actually would be a bad fit. But I'm just saying is 
did the CJ McCollum injury happened? Like, or the, it's not an injury. Yeah. The, what is it? A bula on his lung that he had to have removed. If I was a team that was sort of desperate for a shakeup and goes, God, we just we need to try something. And as long as we don't need to move meaningful assets of the door for him, great. But he's actually kind of perfect on Chicago. Uh, like, what you think Philly wants him now? They used to be Philly. You think Philly wants him? Hell no. He's just. This is the thing. Zach Levine is just a different. He's a bigger Jordan Poole. Like. He is. Uh, he is. He's, he's Kyle Kuzma. He's all those guys. It's just, can he play some defense? Yeah, sometimes. Maybe some of those guys can't. But it's just, why would you ever move real meaningful pieces into the middle? Even well, I think like the, the Lakers, Lakers can get him without without giving up Austin Reeves. Well, this isn't again. You could give D'Angelo Russell. You could give Rui. You Rui. Could give, you could give Max Christie. A what did Rui go for a, a year ago? Say again? What did Rui go for a year ago? Okay, he's one of the pieces. He's one of the pieces. He's, you just made him the second thing. So so you're telling me that the Bulls are going to give you Caruso oh, and no, no, Levine? No, not and Caruso. No, no that's pushing it. That's okay, pushing so it. they're just going to give you Zach Levine Zach for Levine. D'Angelo Russell's horrible money. Rui. Rui, who is completely player. worthless because he went for a second rounder last year. And that second rounder, by the way, they since then he makes more money. They had to actually pay him. He's a guy that the, the Lakers don't even want to play anymore. They went out and they said, we'd rather have Christian Wood than him. So Rui, valueless. He's D'Angelo, nothing. He's interesting. See? And then, injured, injured. And then injured what? And then what, sorry? Maybe a draft pick. Maybe a draft pick. Maybe yeah. a draft pick. Yeah, no, no. They got to rush to make that deal. That, that, here's, here's the reason why this you should be optimistic about this. Because he's a clutch client, and LeBron and, and Rich Paul have clear... Uh, like they, they have a real deep, uh, yeah, hold, let's say, over a lot of teams in the NBA. And for a group like Chicago, an, an actual place where a free agent might show up or someone could eventually force a trade. Like Chicago is an yeah. awesome market. Yeah. They don't deserve this. Basically, they've been cursed since Derrick Rose, the sweet prince, my one of my favorite players ever in his prime, got hurt. Once we lost that, Derek, I watched a little Derrick Rose highlight clip the other day that was just that graced my Instagram feed, and I almost cried. It was so beautiful. I was like, <laughs> God, this was the best. He's the only player since I was a kid who I loved so much that I bought his shoes. Like, I went out and was like... You caught the Adidas. Yes. Wow. Well, I've always been an Adidas hooper. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, because I go back to T-Mac 2s. That's sick, though, because you could get the Anthony Edwards. Those yeah. are looking nice. But so it's yeah. like... Anyway, I got a lot of thoughts on Anthony. That's for later for Bobby. I got a lot of Tim Rose thoughts. Uh, but yeah, I just... I don't know, man. I, 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 I saw the Zach Levine thing. Everybody's sharing it with me. Do you see this? You see this? I mean, this is this is truly the level of quote unquote star that I will not accept. As this would be a splashy move. If the Raptors got Zach Levine tomorrow, I would be so incredibly underwhelmed. Like truly, I, there's there's not even. I'm I'm being serious. There's nothing the Raptors could trade outside of like I'd. The, you, people are gonna say this is nuts. I would rather have Dennis Schroeder. Because at least Dennis Schroeder is just a vet who's going to, like, help the other guys. Because if you bring in Zach Levine, it's the Zach Levine show. But that's what I'm saying. I I wouldn't want to trade Siakama. I wouldn't want to trade any actual meaningful thing. So there's literally nothing that I would want Zach Levine for unless the idea was we're buying this guy low and it's it's like a house. We're flipping this house for more <laughs> to the next month. We're flipping it immediately for for more assets. That's it. He's getting they, paid a lot of money. That's what I'm it. saying, dude. 49 it's, million yeah, in 2026, no. 2026. No, it's insane. It's insane that we've gotten here with NBA trades and and that they're happening this early in the season. 
And all I got to say is, and, and the, the, anyway, the, let's wrap this up because it's way too long on Zach Levine and this is way too long on the Lakers and all these different things. But as a preview for the Bobby stuff, when I ask him about Levine, the big thing is how many other players do they think is going to become available this year? Because if you're a team and you move pieces in and you get Zach Levine and then Pascal Siakam becomes available later in the year or... Carl I, Anthony Towns. Well, no, Carl Anthony Gordon Towns. Hayward. No, 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 Carl Anthony Towns ain't going nowhere. You don't think so? Buddy, you should watch a Timberwolves game. I think they They're should. They're one of the best teams no, in the No, they, they'll no, they'll sell high. They'll sell high. No, 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 no. I think they should. Again, this, remember this, you know how... Cat, Cat ain't got it like that. Cat literally just... Did you watch the game last night? Uh, Timberwolves, I did not watch the Timberwolves. Go look at... Spend this break and go look at what Carl Anthony Towns did yesterday. He's talented. No, 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 no. He's he... Talented. They were losing. It was an emotional game. And he put the team on his back and wow. dominated the... Well, again, wow. it's not the Warriors. No, I'm really surprised. That's surprising. Stuff. Go look at the Timberwolves record. I'm t- So, God, you're ruining the whole show today. Uh... One of the things with Bobby as well is who's the most surprising, what's the most surprising thing in the NBA? And it's that, yeah, dude, the the Gobert and Towns thing is working out incredibly well. They are a nasty team. They are really, 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 really good. Like the Timberwolves are one of those pieces away. Like if, if you want to talk about a team that could add an Alex Caruso, if he became available, be them. The problem is they gave up everything in the Rudy Gobert trade. I don't even know what the hell they have and they can't move anybody off their roster right now. So anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. Let's come back and yeah, let's hit on a couple. Uh, Draymond chokehold. No, I, I'm doing that with Bobby, but I was going to say that people are talking about this McDavid proofing of the franchise and, and I'm totally for it. Quick break. Let's come back and talk about McDavid proofing. I've got Ennis for good hour tomorrow. I wasn't originally going to do this with him. I was actually going to do this out of Merrick, but we never got to the McDavid stuff. But I did, I was I was thinking a lot about the, the discourse around Conor McDavid over the last couple of days because I, I saw the Spit and Chicklets guys basically say, hey, they're doing everything they can to make sure that he stays. They hired his junior coach, got his agent as the CEO. They're probably going to remove the general manager if things go poorly this year, and I'm guessing he'll have a lot of input in on that. They're, they're giving him the keys to the franchise. They're letting him, they're giving him what people dub the LeBron treatment, right? My buddy Pinder, I think, had that tweet. We pointed out, and I, I don't put as much stock into the Connor Brown thing. It was like, yeah, sure, they played together. I think that was more to do with that's a capped out team that saw the opportunity to add a guy who's like a 20 goal scorer. And if someone will sign in Edmonton on the cheap, I think that's pretty fortuitous for you. But it got me thinking about who the athletes are that I would do that for. Like who the athletes are where you should just bend the knee and give the LeBron treatment. Because I think it's done with LeBron for this. The Lakers continue to do it. That's why maybe they're going to go out and get Zach Levine, clutch stuff. I don't know. Feels like there's more there than just LeBron and where he's at in his career. Still a great player. He still can do a lot. It's actually incredible. And I wonder if he's... Got the same cocktail that uh, Tiger Woods is using, you know, to keep making these comebacks. <laughs> but the Ovechkin stuff, although Ovechkin's not scoring lately either. But either way, it's incredible watching LeBron. It really is. He's dominant force, but he's no longer a guy that you would just, you know, do whatever it takes to keep happy. And I was thinking about, like, what are the spots, too, though? Because, for example, I don't think I would ever give – I don't think the Celtics would ever give Jason Tatum control of the Boston Celtics. He's a great player. To me, he's top five. Top five player in the NBA, Jason Tatum. For me, I love Tatum. Love Tatum. But the Celtics would never say, you're the GM, you call the shots. 
It's just not the way the organization is built. So I was thinking about places like Edmonton has to do it, right? Because they're Edmonton. If they lose Connor McDavid, they go into nothing. They, 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 they're completely irrelevant. They're just Edmonton. It's just, a, it's just a cold city with a big mall. Then people don't even go to malls anymore. So what is it even? Suburbs? Yeah, it's not great. Not great. I've been there. It's fine. Rather go to Calgary. <laughs> I'd rather, just saying, I'd rather spend time there. But if you told me if I had tickets to one of the two hockey teams, I'd be like, oh yeah, let's go to Edmonton. I want to watch Connor McDavid. It's literally the number one reason to go to Edmonton is to see Connor McDavid. And if he leaves, you're in trouble. So it's like, you want to be city of champions? You want to keep Connor McDavid. So I thought that he's very, very high. But yeah, I put together a list of athletes you'd give the power to. And it's dependent on the sport, dependent on the market. And I thought, Number one is Jokic over McDavid because he's the best player in the NBA. He dominated last night again, was just incredible. Just a completely unstoppable force. He's truly there. There's the, the, the only conversation is who's the second best player in the NBA. And I think there's actually a pretty decent gap. Like it's just, this guy is completely in control of everything right now. He's a joy to watch. We, we finally caught up to it after the, the championship. It's done a lot for him. But Jokic is the guy. The thing is, he would probably never do it because he doesn't even care enough. He's like, I don't want to be involved in any of this. Like, I'm the GM of my horse racing circuit. I can't also be the GM of the Denver Nuggets. But, yeah, the Denver Nuggets are never – this is an organization that, had, again, no championships before him. Probably won't have championships after he leaves unless they, they fluke in. But, yeah, they've gotten a, a generational player. And the sport, it's just Jokic matters more to an NBA team than McDavid matters to an NHL team. But I think I think Giannis is two for the same reasons that he plays in Milwaukee. They already did it. They already proved it with going out and getting Dame and making their team worse, hiring a coach that's in way over his head. The Bucks have arguably the worst coaching staff in the NBA, and that's all due to them just saying whatever you want, Giannis. And again, nature of the sport, nature of the player, won a championship. Both of us can but I think then McDavid is three. And anyway, I, I'm going to do the rest of this list. I'm going to talk about this more tomorrow with Ennis. I'm going to deep dive into this. I wasn't planning on doing it. I was planning on just doing this quickly myself. But now that I think about it, I'm curious to see what he thinks. Because my big thing is, is that Shohei Otani is a free agent. And I feel like he's the only baseball player that you might ever do this with. Like if you're the Blue Jays, would you actually do this? Would you cede some control to him? in terms of some of the decision-making, because mostly in baseball, you give a player money, and that's it. That's enough. You get so much money, and it's all guaranteed that, of course, they're not offering you anything more, because it's just the amount of cash that you're getting here. The amount of cash that you're getting, and all the way until you're 40 years old, it's so unique compared to any other sport, other than basically like quarterbacks, right? But even then, it's not all guaranteed. It's like Deshaun Watson just changed that, that contract. So... With baseball players, it doesn't like Aaron Judge is never going to get the Yankees to bend the knee and change the organization for him. He just gets the money, just gets more money. There's a price for every baseball player. But I think Shohei might be actually one of those guys, and I do wonder what that would even look like in baseball. Anyway, we'll do that tomorrow with Ennis. Let's take a quick break. Let's come back and let's talk to Bobby Marks about the most surprising teams, positive or negative. What the hell should happen with Levine? More Levine talk for those of you. That'll be a quick. Um, and yeah, the, the NBA's officiating problem, growing officiating problem, because it, it's becoming really, really bad. That's next. All right, it's been a minute since I had one of my favorites, Bobby Marks, ESPN front office insider, former Nets AGM. What's up, Bobby? Hey, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. You know why I'm especially well? 
Why is that? Because I love watching the Clippers lose. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit how openly I was watching that Nuggets game last night as though it was actually, this is a real success for the NBA. I wanted to talk to you about in season tournament, but I was watching it with real stakes going, don't let the Clippers win. This is their Super Bowl. They're throwing everything at the wall. They need this win. They got to get off the schneid. Everybody's talking about what a disaster this trade is. You've got uh, regional broadcasters having a pull video segments because they've got analysts going too hard against Harden. So maybe we're kind of falling for the same trap here. But yeah, the Clippers, bought, they're 0-5. They, they've gone from 120 points a game uh, when they were 3-1, and by the way, without James Harden, to 0-5, averaging 104 points per game. I, like, where are you at with just how bad of an idea was this? Or do you, are you waiting to give this, like, a lot more time? Yeah, what, what's your just feeling on the Clippers and the Harden trade as of today? Yeah, I'm not, I'm, yes, I'm not ready to kind of, you know, you know, kibosh this, this whole thing. I mean, if, listen, if we're after, after 20 games with Harden and they're two and 18, then then there's, that's the sample there. I mean, certainly eventually they're going to have to start figuring it out. Like I understood like the move, like I, I, Mm. like just from working in a front office, I get it. Like when you're back in your back to the wall, have your backs to the wall, and you basically have traded basically everything already, and you all, you had a little bit of, of of draft assets and players left to go out, and you figured, can we get we can we get closer to where Denver is with Harden, and now we we get him in early November. We got a you know basically a, a long runway to integrate him there. Um, like I get it, we're moving into a new building. I understand it all, but there's no like you know. Um, safety net waiting for you <laughs> when it fails. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the big thing is that I, the, the caution to doing the hardened move is that you don't have another move probably up your sleeve. Um, that's the reality of it. Unless, you know, uh, Zubak or Norm Powell or Terrence Mann, I guess, if you want to put him out on the market and you've got a draft pick in 2030, like that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the reality of it, that now you are married to um, this roster Um they are small, as you saw. Um, somebody's going to have to sacrifice here. You know, Ty Lue is basically trying to stagger minutes, and and you're three and seven, and you're zero and six on the road. I mean, that's the that's the shocking thing is that you're zero and six on the road with with you know with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and you know just it's just not an equal balance. And um, you know, the Western Conference is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. and that's the other thing is that you look up um, two weeks from now and you're five and 15, for example. I mean, that's, that's pretty tough to kind of try to climb out of that. Yeah. No, I, I just, uh, there's so many things I don't like about it. I hate how much Paul George is off the ball. Um, and like what it does just to the dynamics of the group. They're, they're way too small to compete with so many. There was like at least signs of life from them yesterday, but they were hitting a ton of threes, right? Like they were just really efficient from the three point range. Otherwise that game probably gets out of control a little bit earlier. Plus that's not even the the full nuggets team, right? Like Jamal Murray isn't there, which I, I think we should probably be reminding ourselves when watching yeah. these games and trying to decipher what we can take from them from the in season games and, and try to project them outwardly. I just, it just really doesn't feel like it fits with the current pieces. Westbrook already looks annoyed <laughs> where, to the point where I feel like they're going to end up having to move him and they're going to have to change these pieces. But the part of this that you mentioned that I'm, I'm really curious about from your standpoint is, you know, you go, I, I know what this looks like from a front office standpoint and 
How much of this do you think was Balmer and the new building versus what they actually wanted to do as an organization? Because you had it in Brooklyn, right? Like you got the Barclays Center, you got a new owner, you guys had a ton of pressure to build this this Nets team that was going to be competitive and flashy right away, right? That was going to have name brand, name value players. And I, I, I just can't help but feel like these guys learn nothing from you guys and that there's real potential here if the Clippers thing doesn't work out, that all of a sudden you're stuck with all these dudes in a market that's just kind of clowning them and then a new building. Like, it doesn't matter if you have, what's it called, the wall that they're going to build in there, the, the, the part where there's no suites and it just goes all the way back up. Like, I don't think that's going to matter as much as if you don't have a, if you have a team that people hate. Well, and the, and the big thing, too, is, is that, you know, there, there was already a lot of pressure um, before the Harden trade, because you've got Leonard and, and, and Paul George, who've got player options for next mm-hmm. year. Are they going to get extended? What, you know, can you pay big money for guys that aren't on a court? What do you do? Um, you know, and then certainly with the building, and then you add Harden, the Harden piece, and um, you know, giving up more draft equity. You know, certainly the expiring, the, the, you know, the expiring contracts are the expiring contracts. Like those, you know, three players, although you know, role players probably weren't part of the future. Um, it's, I mean, every, what happens is, is that every game gets magnified. Like it gets like, you know, like last night was, you know, for game 10 of the regular season, it was, Mm -hmm. there was a big spotlight on it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Is this team going to lose? And I felt that not the, really the first year in Brooklyn, because I thought the first year we were pretty decent. Um, the second year there was a ton of pressure. I mean, like just ridiculous that like you, 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 when you're losing games like this, you're like, are we ever going to win again? And then what's the ramifications here? And fortunately you turn it, you, you've turned it around, but it took us like two months to figure it out. Um, you know, to, to try to figure, you know, with, with everything, but yeah, it's, um, you know, and, you know, what do you do with, with Ty Lue? Is there, are you on is the front office and the coaching staff on board together? Is there an alignment there? Um, and you've got an, you know, an owner and the owner's not going to walk in with, you know, um, no offense, Terrence Mann and Norman Powell no. <laughs> into that new building like that. So like, then that's the other thing. What happens if you're 35 and 47 now, can you, you know, in a, in a, in a perfect world, you, you go in a different direction, you kind of retool, but can you, can. can you afford that? Yeah. I mean, you just, how much you've already given up here and, um, we, you know, listen, we've, we've all watched James Harden, you know, the, for James Harden, the best situation for him was to either stay in Philadelphia or not leave Brooklyn. And I, I just don't know how this is going to work out and we'll see how this, this schedule kind of rolls out. But yeah, it's almost like, it's like, it's like bad reality TV, right? But you, you know, even though the show's not very good, like you just have a hard time turning it off. Yeah. At least, you know. In their case, they do have an owner who's not going to be like, I'm sick of this team already, like back to Russia. <laughs> like, this is yeah. at least right. they have a guy. Well, that was the thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the big, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, I mean, like, if you go all in, yeah. like, you better be all in. Yeah. Like, I don't, like, you just can't re- all of a sudden pivot and be like, you know what? Yeah, I don't want to spend money anymore. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to start trading guys. And then you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 you know, that's what happens. No, you can't watch Steve Ballmer talk about his new arena without realizing that he cares more about this than anything. <laughs> like, I, he loves it. I go watch him the other day. Where he's like, oh, our scoreboard is an acre. And he's yelling about it. Wow, an acre. That's cool. Like, it's going to be an interesting arena. He loves the 
toilets. I think that's actually brilliant as someone who goes to a lot of games that they've really put this much emphasis and focus on having, you know, bathrooms that accommodate enough people. Um, but yeah, uh, I think he's clearly in it for the long haul. I just don't see how this works out in any way. Like, it, w- what is the goal of the team? Well, if it's not to win a championship, it's to create at least a group that is super enticing to a, yeah, a, a fan base that people want to buy tickets to go see the Clippers and that there's going to be in, people in that area that aren't willing to, yeah, you know, p- uh, fork over Lakers tickets. They're going to want to become Clippers fans. And I'm like, what What are you investing in? Because I, I just look at Kawhi and Paul. Kawhi looks like he's taken a, a bit of a step back. George... Like, I guess the kind of the follow-up to you is, are, are we sure, even though he's an L.A. guy, that he's going to stay there? Like, I, I feel as though he doesn't have the same feeling as Kawhi in terms of just zero pressure to win anymore. Like, Kawhi's legacy is solid. He seems to be fine in L.A. I, I don't think that he's going to be the same guy anymore or that he wants to put the mileage on the tires. But are we sure if things go this way with the Clippers that the odd man out doesn't actually end up being Paul George who just goes, you know what, I, I want to try to win somewhere else, even if it's not with the comforts of home? Well, no, it's a good point. I mean, and if you look at the three players who could be, you know, who could be free agents next year, I would think probably Paul would have the most value. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly Kawhi based on his health. And yeah, there would be teams out there that would, you know, take a, you know, one or, you know, one or two year con- I don't think a team would invest long term with, with Kawhi. Um, no, certainly not Harden. But if you're like, hey, if, I, if you're in Philadelphia, right? You know, hey, maybe he fits well with Maxi and Embiid. He could be that guy, or oh, yeah. you know, maybe one of these other teams that has um, cap space. And that's why it's like I always say, like the off season is always the honeymoon. It's like you know, going through an eighty-two game season and struggling. Certainly, how they have right now, um, you know, will determine a lot. And I just thought, like the Clipper team, and it's, it's an interesting word to use. Like they were safe after four games. I thought they, they you know, they were three and one. And I know, you know, there was a. Um, I think it was the Denver game where maybe that kind of changed the tune as far as how they were going to go out and, and, and do things here. But like, there's, there's nothing wrong with being the five seed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's like, so you, now you're going backwards. You're going from a you know team that lost in the second round to a team lost in the first round. And now we're like, wait a minute, can these guys get in the plan? Mm-hmm. Based how, especially how based on when you look at teams like Houston and Minnesota and those teams that, you know, especially the Rockets who weren't even, um, um, uh, you know, playing team last year, if they continue to play well, they bump, they bump somebody out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, who's it going to be? And, um, you know, the Clippers are, um, you know, it, it's, it's pretty fascinating as far as what's, um, you know, what's happened with them. I think there's already like five or six teams that there's just no way the Clippers are going to jump over them in the West. So yeah, the margins, it, yeah, it's, it's November and it's, like you said, it's 10 games in. So some of this does feel a little ridiculous. I, I did see flashes at least of the Clippers yesterday where I went, oh yeah, yeah, you can see how this works when these guys are all making shots, right? When when George is handling it and taking turns with him at Harden and refs still fall for the Harden thing and Kawhi's working in the mid-range and you go like, oh yeah, there's so, there is so much talent. How could this fail so horribly? But yeah, this, the West is so deep. And there's just so many teams that I think are built well for the regular season and, and built well to just, yeah, accumulate points. And I'm just not sure the Clippers are going to be there. And yeah, what that, what that says about their future. Okay, so this is kind of like, uh, I've got a, a topic on officials for you today because I think sure. that we're at yeah. actually a state of semi-emergency. But this is a bad one because yesterday I'm like, I read that Monty McCutcheon came out and he said they have studies apparently. Apparently the refs our commissioning studies, maybe you know about this. And they're like, hey, the refs, we have our studies, we've got our, our groups, and the studies say that if we call techs 
on things like stare downs early, then it takes away from the chippiness later in the game. But it, I think he used the wrong word. He said something like it takes away from the passion, let's say, in later in the game. Right. And you go, well, actually, isn't that what people want? They want passion in regular season right. games. But then yesterday, we have Draymond Green who throws right. Rudy Gobert into a chokehold. And I'm like, damn it. Draymond is going to mess this well, up for all of us because we we want the passion and I want the stare downs. We can't have the chokeouts. But I, I like what does the NBA do here? Because it, I I can't see Giannis Antetokounmpo ejected for a stare down. I, I can't see a technical foul for Anthony Edwards. Like one of the main reasons to watch NBA basketball right now, teed up and hurting his team because he's excited about dunking a basketball. Like. Why do you think the league is going in this direction? And do you think that Adam Silver is actually going to start to say like, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we, I know we were trying to do this. And I, I get that it almost is like modeled after the NFL with the whole taunting penalty. But already, I, I think that fans are pretty unanimous on this, that they, they hate where the league is going in terms of some of this officiating and the way that they're injecting themselves in these kind of calls. I, I think there's got to be a common sense approach, and it's basically a feel of the game from, from officials here. If you if you know that Giannis already has a technical, and he dunks on a guy and, and he lets out a growl, and and the next technical is going to cost him, a, you know, to get ejected. I mean, it's common sense. If Anthony Edwards does a 360 dunk, he's going to show excitement, right? It's common sense, like. If, if anything, if the league does a study, which after the, after we do this um, in-season tournament, maybe we don't schedule Go- Golden State, Minnesota for a regular season game and then two days later have them play in the in-season tournament game. Like, if there's going to be hostility, that's the reason why, because it basically last night started, it was treated like a playoff game off the bat, right? Like, it was like game two of a, of a best-of-seven series. Um so that, like, maybe that's why there was a little more hostility because there was chippiness from the game, you know, two two days prior and stuff. And yeah, I I like I get it, you know, as far as the, you know what Monty was saying, as far as you know, taunting could lead to something else. But mm. I think there's a lot of you know, like you know, the, you know, the Draymond Rudy situation last night had nothing to do with taunting. That's, that's a, what I mean. That's it. That's a feud that's been stemming for for five years or six years here, and Draymond will pay the price ultimately with that, uh, with some type of suspension here. Mm. But yeah, I think, listen, like if, if you do something great, you're supposed to, you know, if you're you're supposed to be excited. I get it if you're if you dunk on a guy and then you're pointing at the bench or if you're pointing at him up running up the court, like that's a little bit different, but. It's good. There's got to be a common sense there where, where, where officials have to know. I mean, that's what that was the beauty of a lot of the older officials back in the you know early two, you know 2000s, whether it be you know Joey Crawford or Bennett Salvatore or um, Bob Delaney. Guys like knew the situation of the game. Like 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 as much as Joey liked to give tees, he knew Giannis already had one, right? Like he wasn't going to throw him out of the game in the third quarter. So. I, I do think there has to be a, you know, some type of middle ground between, you know, the officials and, um, you know, kind of what, how they're handing out tees for that situation. I, I like, I don't even think there should be middle ground. Uh, to me, this is like un- so unfortunately timed because uh, to, I, I felt like what momentum there is behind how egregious some of these calls are and how some of this officiating is. And, like, this isn't a league issue, I think. You're right. It's not about taunting. This is just – this is Draymond Green. Like, there's no other player in the NBA, in my opinion, that makes that 
chokehold on Rudy Gobert. Like, there's, if you talk, like, like, we just play this game. Hey, hey, Bobby, um, a player put his hands around another player's neck last night. Uh, it, who was it? Like, uh, it's for a million dollars. You could have to guess Draymond, right? Like, what else would you use the guess on? Who else would you use the guess on? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. I love the passion. I loved that the Timberwolves were playing the Warriors right after. I love that Edwards called them out before the season, that there was already trash talk. I love that. Um, I watched the game before that, the regular season game, and it's just, you know, Edwards talking trash to Draymond, and you can kind of hear a little bit of the mic'd up where you get little snippets of it and pieces where he's like, why are you talking? And then Edwards hits this dagger three, and I, I love it. And these two teams clearly hate each other, and I'm like, damn, yes, a good rivalry, a good meaningful moment. And then that happens. And you go, you might have ruined it, Draymond, because now the next time you guys play, they're not going to let you get away with anything. Now the next time you guys play, the first person that says something, they're going to set the tone with the technical, they're going to set something with an ejection or whatever, and we've changed this, what should have been a fun matchup, into something where guys have to watch themselves and really comport themselves in a different way. So what do you think the the Draymond suspension is going to look like? I mean, I've heard, I've heard people say 10 games. I don't, I don't think it's that high. I think it could be anywhere between three and five games. Yeah. I think, you know, I went back and looked at when he got suspended from, with the, from the Sabonis situation in the yeah. playoffs. You know, we, uh, Woj wrote an article, and Joe Dumars was on record, and it's, you know, repeat offender. Mm-hmm. Like, that comes up a lot, like prior incidents here. And he's a repeat offender. <clears throat> I thought it was pretty egregious. Um, I, I, I heard Steve Kerr say, well, Rudy grabbed Clay. No, Steve you know, Kerr was crazy. Rudy was trying to be a, a peacemaker, and yeah, yeah, he grabbed them a little high, no, and that was probably just that. It, it was totally, um, you know, totally different and everything. And I, I think he'll get somewhere between three and five games because not only did he put him in a, a stranglehold, but he basically dragged him, you know, down down the, the court and was not oh. willing to let go here. And I think that what he did had nothing to do with Clay and Jaden McDaniels. Yeah. What Draymond did was basically, whether it's been beef overall NBA, yeah. his distaste for Rudy Gobert, like that was a personal. Like yeah, that had nothing to do with trying to separate, you know, two guys. And in the in the the, um, the the Clay and McDaniel stuff was, yeah, I get it, them getting thrown out and stuff like that. But there was, you know, really not much to do about you know you know two guys getting tangled up and not being happy. One was hanging on to the other's jersey and everything. Mm-hmm. Here's here's the big Draymond question. Do you think the pool punch plays into the suspension? Because if you're the league and you're looking at this, you're like, hmm, uh, yeah, we we couldn't really deal with the Draymond thing with pool, and technically it shouldn't count as a, like a repeat offender thing, but we all know that this is a guy who, yeah, nailed one of his teammates on video, and now we've got another highlight of Draymond grabbing someone around the neck. Like, I thought 3-2 at first. Like, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's three games. is the thing. And then I thought about the pool thing and went, hmm, if you're the yeah. league, maybe this is actually going to play into your decision, even if it's if it's done quietly. Well, obviously, there's something, you know, I mean, it, it, there's been multiple situations. So there's some type of anger issue, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, even, um, you know, when he got thrown off, thrown out, um, with the Donovan Mitchell situation, um, you know, you know, a couple games ago, I guess, um, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's every, everything basically adds up. I mean, from, you know, seven years ago, you know, to, you know, his prior, you know, <clears throat> his prior incidents here. And, you know, this is going to be, you know, he would have been better off throwing a punch than basically putting him in a, in a, in a stranglehold here. 
Yeah, it's a tough look, man. It is. Like, it's a really, especially like how deep he sinks it. And it, it, it also isn't good that Rudy Gobert looks genuinely terrified because <laughs> like, he's like, oh my God, it's Draymond back there. I'd be scared too. But yeah, it's not a, it's, it's a tough visual for everybody involved. I, I think that he should get five. Like, that's kind of where I sat with it. I thought originally it was three. And I remember Poole that I just remember like the, the, the behavior just seems to be escalating to a point. And I think if you're the league, you just have to say to Draymond, like, you cannot. You just can't be putting your hands on people anymore, man. Like, we let you get away with so much with the talking, but when it comes to the actual grabbing of another player, especially around the neck, no. Like, this this is over. This is done. We're, we're not doing this one again. Next one, next one's at least 25. Like, we're we're hitting you with a John Morant-type suspension. I, I just, I think that's where they're at with the player. Um, quick one. Uh, what do you think happens with Levine? Because I was making the case earlier that if I was a team... I'm keeping the powder dry before I'm moving in yeah. for that player. Like, I just, I don't know yeah. what the, I don't know what the urgency or what team would be feel urgent 10 games in the year to be like, oh my God, we got to give up a bunch of assets to get Zach Levine over here. Especially when like, there's a real parallel to the Harden thing where it's like, no, you have to have yeah. the ball in this guy's hands. He's going to stop it. He's going to change the way you play. And there's no track record of success. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's a sense of urgency from teams. I think the Harden situation was was different because he asked out and they were they wanted to get you know get off him uh, in, in Philadelphia. I mean, we're you know ten games into the season, most players can't be traded till December fifteenth. Chicago's four and seven. You know, the the new CBA makes it hard. You know, he's probably a number three guy or you know number two or number three guy on a, on a on a really good team. Um, $40 million per year makes it hard to carry that money. Um, and, you know, I think for Chicago, eventually they're going to have to probably pick a direction as far as where they're going here. Um, certainly with the Rosen is going to be a free agent um, and they're four and they're four and seven and, and basically been a below 500 teams and Lonzo's been out. And so I don't think there's teams lining up right now for, um, for DeMar DeRozan. I think teams will line up for Alex Caruso if he ever became available. I think Caruso, if you had a, um, if you had a pecking order between Caruso, Levine, and DeRozan, I think uh, Caruso would have the most value out of the three players here just based on his, his, you know, what he can do defensively in his contract here. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think, you know, I think we're in a wait-and-see approach with, um, with Levine. We'll see what happens in four to six weeks from now where Chicago is and, um, you know, is it better off holding on and see what you can do next offseason here. But, I think, you know, the more they lose, I think the more there's probably a little more sense of urgency probably to, um, you know, to probably start retooling around with that, with that roster. Yeah. I've said the same thing. I'd love Caruso on my team. I really would not feel great about Levine. <laughs> yeah. I even said to the guys on the show, I I'd, I'd would legitimately not trade anything on the Raptors to bring in Levine. I just don't see how it would fit with any of the players. Like they're like, he's free. Be like, unless we're able to turn him into other assets, no, thank you. Like, it's just yeah. a, it's a, it's a hard no. And so I just thought it was funny yesterday when there was like the reports of teams, you know, multiple teams interested in Zach Levine. I was like, okay, yeah, I, we well, know I who just, his like, is. You know, like the whole, the whole idea that just because the, um, you know, 30 NBA executives were going to be in Chicago watching Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, and Michigan State, and all of a sudden there's going to be like more dialogue. Like, yeah. give me a break. I know. Like, people have phones. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like, like that, that doesn't accelerate trade talks because uh -huh. you're sitting next to Rob Palinka at the United Center. Yeah. Like, come on, man. We're on the concourse eating a pretzel and talk, hey, what do you think about his faculty? Yeah, we. 
know, like that doesn't that 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 doesn't that's not true at all. I don't I don't buy into that at all. Yeah, uh, you know what uh, what actually would have probably changed things for me is seeing Levine wearing the B clutch sweatshirt, you know, and wearing it matching with his agent and realizing, yeah, I'm good. Like, (laughs) I'm, uh, you know what? I saw him in the concourse wearing the hoodie and I decided there was a moment where we went, we we were talking ourselves into it. Then I saw him with Rich and I went, nah, never mind. Uh, We'll we'll be fine. We'll be all right. Let's just, uh, let's again, let's keep our assets. Okay. So uh, I do want to circle back to the Timberwolves and this will be the last one. And just in, in this regard, to me, they've been the most surprising thing about this entire NBA season. Like, I've loved Rudy Gobert and Towns, like, yesterday in the game, and I know it's a shorthanded Warriors team or whatever, but Towns was showing, like, a real, like, dog. <laughs> he was a dog in that game. And yeah. I, went, I've, I haven't seen this too often from you as a player. I, I'm sorry, but it was a meaningful game. Like, they've got the size where it feels like they can give Jokic some kind of a problem. Gobert was amazing. He had this one play at the very end of the game where he went out and he, he like, he stole them the game with his defense and he just looks like vintage Gobert again. And McDaniels is awesome. And it just feels like everything they've touched has been great. And if they could find a way to add, you know, actually they're the Alex Caruso team where I'm like, Holy hell, yeah. if they could drive, if yeah. they could get their hands on Alex Caruso, that would just be perfect to upgrade from our guy, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Like if they could just have that, that player there, they, they actually feel like a real contender to me and it's 10 games, but like, I actually think they're there. I, I'm, I'm curious if they are also your biggest surprise or if you are as surprised by this or if it's something else about the season so far. Well, I think I'm, I'm, I'm surprised about Minnesota because I watched them in Atlanta a few weeks ago, basically, you know, cave in in the second half um, and be like, oh, is this the same Minnesota team? And I think, you know, what they've learned, they learned from the Memphis series two years ago and the Lakers series last year. You know, you got to go through that you know type of adversity to, to kind of get where you are. I mean, McDaniels, you know, was has been terrific. Conley's been terrific, too. Uh, I thought I think he's been really good here. They'll be judged when we get to the playoffs if uh-huh. Gobert can, you know, switch out and get on the, you know, like, right? Like, that's where, you know, like they'll be judged. But yeah, I mean, um, you have to be happy, you know, where they, you know, eight and two, I think, what, what, seven in a row, I think, mm-hmm. um, where they are right now. And I think you just stack up wins and you, you know, you get some separation from these other teams and you, you get a, you know, top three seed, you know, getting into the playoffs where you won't have to worry about playing. Um, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, Denver or Memphis, you know, a good Memphis team from a few years ago in, in the first round anymore. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I, I shouldn't be as surprised by the Memphis fall off. I was going to almost look at them as another one, but yeah, there's no jaw and their team is so different. They're so thin, but yeah, the, I just, I can't believe how much I love the T-Wolves. And I get like, we had them here for the first game of the year with Toronto and they just look like you said the same old Grizz, uh, or sorry, the same old, same old Timberwolves. I went, all right. Like they were, and they were down Jade McDaniels, but I'm like, yeah, whatever. Towns is missing all. He's just settling for every shot on the outside. Uh, Edwards has a quarter. That's amazing. But the rest of it, you're like, mm, you know, there's, there's some shot selection stuff here. Gobert just looked soft. And I went, oh, this team is a disaster. They're just not going to the, f- fulfill any of this promise. And now I'm looking at them. And I'm like, man, are you, are you guys yeah. my favorite team to watch? Like, are you other than Denver? But yeah, it's just, I, I really like this team. I I'm shocked at yeah. How much I like this team. Uh, Bobby, thanks as always for the time today, man. You got it. Have a good day. You too. Uh, there he goes. ESPN front office insider, former Nets AGM, Bobby Marks. Timberwolves are legitimately good. 
that, that people are going to look bad. By the way, the Raptors beat a Timberwolves team that was not playing anything like they're playing right now. But you still get that one. When you point back at the Raptors' wins, if they get killed tonight by Milwaukee, which I think if there's no OG, is, is OG going to play? He's out? Do we know? He's out. I believe. He's out. Either way, no Trent, no OG. I don't think that they beat the Bucks, Even though the Bucks are super thin too, I just think that this is going to be too much. Um, I don't think, and plus I don't think Milwaukee will let you beat them twice in a row. But who knows? But if you're Toronto, the argument against people like me that go, well, yeah, two of your wins are 20 plus point comebacks against the Spurs and Wizards. You can also say, yeah, but they beat the Timberwolves and they beat the Bucks. And that could be the finals. <laughs> and the Mavericks. <laughs> yeah, the Mavericks. I, I know the Mavericks record is good, but the Raptors are actually really, the, the styles make fights, right? Like some teams are just perfectly aligned stylistically to beat another group where you look at it and say, I don't think that this is a better team, but this is a team that's better than you. Are they built to beat you? I feel like the Raptors are the, the perfect team to beat the Dallas Mavericks. Like multiple guys that you can throw at Luka. They're, the, the Mavericks aren't particularly deep. They can't really exploit you with size if the Raptors go small. There's just it, it just it was a nice game for the Raps. They've got a horrible defense that the Raptors guys like completely got all of theirs in the half court, which is something I think the Raptors are like 26th in the league, 25th in the league in half court offense and top tier in transition. And so it was a game where like, you know, they settle for a lot of threes. Raptors could get out in transition. They score on a bad half court defense. They exploit them inside. It's a nice win. I'm not trying to take away from it at all. Like, it's a very nice win for the Raptors. I'm just saying that Dallas is a team that if if I think Toronto played them 10 times, I think Toronto would beat them six or seven at least. And the only other games that they would win would be because Luka went just crazy. And it was one of those, like, what what was Luka last night? It was or last night or the night before. He had some insane game where it was like 17 to 21 or 17 to 22 from the field. And you're like, oh, yeah, like, you're not beating that. Like, they, he does that, and it's just, it's over. That's when he pieces it together. Anyways, um, I'm definitely I'm definitely monitoring the Clippers situation more than a lot of other teams because I'm rooting against Kawhi and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I've said it for over and over and over and over again. I don't ever want to see him win with another team. Uh, I'm not angry. I don't feel like I hate Kawhi Leonard. I wouldn't boo him if he came to Toronto. I would cheer him. I would give him a standing ovation because he brought us a championship. We're a loser city and he brought us a, a winner, which is incredible. Like we don't win. We don't win. Like, we've won, but we don't win. We're not a winner city. We're a loser city. We lose. We find ways to lose. And Kawhi made us a winner. And I'll never forget that. That was the best. That was the best, 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 best. But I wanted more of the winning, and I wanted Kawhi to win here. And I thought always that re-signing in Toronto was a better situation for him from a basketball standpoint. And especially the layout of the conferences, the window that they had, all of it. And so I root against Kawhi. I don't want him to get hurt. I don't want him to, you know, and I, I just basketball wise, I want his teams to suck and seeing the Clippers go own six or sorry, own five to start the Harden trade has been a delight. And they were trying yesterday. Like the Clippers really, it was their Super Bowl. They went, we got to win this game. It's in season tournament. People are watching this game. We're playing Denver. They don't have Jamal Murray. We already lost these guys. And Jokic just did his thing and he just kicked their ass. And he went, okay, <laughs> give me the ball every single time. Who's defending me? Uh, PJ Tucker, that's cute. <laughs> Who's defending me? Zubak? 
Subak stapled to the bench late because every time he touched the ball, it was like, you better foul. And he did. He was clawing at him. Jokic had marks all over his body because Zubak was just, the only way that he could defend him was claws and hands and all these different things. I love this Denver Nuggets team. I'm telling you, I know you all know this at this point because we watched the finals, but I, I saw Paul Pierce the other day. He had a take of the gap between Jokic and the next player is what it was with LeBron and the next player during LeBron's peak. And I genuinely feel that way right now too. Like I I look at the rest of the NBA, the rest of the players. I'm like the idea that you would ever trade like Jokic for Doncic in a game is insane. And even Giannis who is incredible Giannis, who is dominant Giannis, who has had a 50 plus piece this season. It's just, it's not the same. Jokic controls every piece of the game. The rebounding, the passing, the attention that he draws from the defenses, just every guy on the team, I keep looking at them when he goes to the bench, and I think, these guys suck. This is a trash team. But they actually move the ball and play well together. It's a good message for the Raptors in terms of buying in a Darko system of just move the basketball. And what it does, having a great playmaker, is everybody figures out how to involve one another and that the ball moves quick. And so Jokic goes out and they're still playing with one another. They're still passing the ball a ton. It's not the same, obviously, but it works despite a couple guys that you look at and go, I don't know who this is. <laughs> like there's a couple new Denver players. I'm like, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you came from, yeah, but you're all they, right. They're, they lost some veterans yeah. from that championship but that's it. team. But that's it. And it's just, I still like them. I still love them. I think they're, they're going to win back to back. I think that the only team that could stand in their way is Boston. Maybe there's a seven game series with, Minnesota, if Minnesota really figures it out or adds another piece, but I just think Jokic is going to find a way because he's just, he's that guy right now. Like the, the league is far behind him and the Clippers did this move in an effort to try to catch up with them. And I just, these guys, they're, they're cooked. Like they, they might make the play in, they might make something happen, but they're going to have the same destiny as years before, which is get in the playoffs, lose, get smoked by somebody, run into this Denver team. You maybe get swept. There's probably three teams right now in the West that would beat the Clippers in five or less. And yeah, yeah uh, maybe the Clippers uh, heard that this season's title won't mean much. No, no, yes, yeah, oof, like yes. the bubble, yeah, and so maybe bad. they just gave up already. Uh, no, it's really maybe. bad. I don't know. It's just the Clippers are. It's a, it's a disaster. I just the the idea that this was all for selling tickets the following year. Because, the, and the Clippers are going to have the coolest arena in basketball. Like, if you told me next year I can go to one game, I'd be like, Clippers, please, because I want to go to that arena. Yeah. It's a very cool arena. Yeah. But we've seen this with sports. Is it, it, you know what's pretty cool, too, is in 2023 is your couch, probably, your TV. Flat virtual. screen's never been I'll cheaper. Like, virtual courtside. There's, <laughs> VR. It's hard to get people off the couch. It's hard to get people your age off the couch. Like, you guys. Yeah. And James Harden is not like a fascinating that's what I mean, player it, it, to that, watch. That's the biggest miscalculation. All of this is you went and got the guy that everyone likes to root against, not for. So what are you doing here? It just, it was very, very, it's a very, very weird move. And I'm really enjoying rooting against it. And I can't wait. I really hope they drop one of these. They've got a pretty light schedule coming up. I think they've got three games where they're probably going to win three in a row, but I would love to see them lose two of them somehow. Like I would love to see them choke a game against the San Antonio Spurs and just the, the discourse that uh, would happen off of that. Uh, it's time for ad read. Tom Segura's Come Together Tour hits Casino Rama on May 3rd, and we have been given tickets away all week long, as you've heard, because of mentioned it. Tom Segura, he's amazing. You should go see the show if you uh, don't win the free tickets. To enter, though, if you want to get the free tickets, you just got to listen to this podcast and wait until this part of the show then here's the code word. And you text this code word to 590-590. The code word is sledgehammer. 
So text SLEDGEHAMMER to 59590 right now to enter for your chance to win. We will be giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow, but tickets officially go on sale Friday, November 17th at 10 a.m. on Ticketmaster. And I would suggest that you jump in on this early because they these ones will go fast. Tom Segura is going fast at a non-massive, it, like he usually does two shows in Toronto. I'm not sure if he's doing two this time around, but he does two shows because they sell out fast and they get, yeah, they get pretty pricey. So good for anybody that wins these things because they're going to, yeah, you're, you're going to have a good time. All right, quick break. Let's come back and hit what we missed. So I got to get a couple things in here before we wrap up. Deshaun Watson being out for the season. Browns are cursed. I don't even know how much I want to say about that. Happy birthday to my brother, my baby brother. Hey, happy yeah. birthday. He's not going to hear this. He's in Cancun. He will not listen. He will. And, he, and also, not only will he not listen, he will not care. And I'm with him actually on this because, uh, and I, I joked about this a, a couple of months ago for regular listeners. But I had a friend who asked me if he, I could give a shout out to a friend who was a listener for his birthday. And I went, I, I, don't, I don't understand the birthday shout out thing. Like, saw a hilarious video uh, on Barstool yesterday with Jersey Jerry where he was going through DMs of asking TJ Watt to wish him happy birthday. And I thought <laughs> this is one of the funniest things ever that a grown man would ask for this. He was messaging TJ Watt's wife yeah. about <laughs> it too. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. It was incredible. The, Barstool would be totally dead if not for hiring Jersey Jerry and. Frank the Tank, like those two guys saved Barstool. They they just immediately like they kept it they kept it alive. There's no question. Every there's not one Frank video that I don't watch. It's as soon as someone sends me Frank, I'm all in. And and I there's somewhere I cringe so hard too, where I'm like I can't believe I like this makes me feel sick. I I think if I was in the same room with him, I'd lose my mind. But some of the highlights are just it's just some of some of the clips that they put together with him is just incredible. Anyway, I just saw this though. I was walking back from the washroom during the intermission, the break, the intermission. That was, that was a little strong. <laughs> I don't have intermissions. I'm very sports guy. No, I was like the inter- no. I meant to, it's to me. It sounded a little too classy for the show. Ooh, the intermission. It's time for an intermission. Halfway through the uh, play. Yeah. I'm I'm walking. We're, we share a wall with 680. They hate it because we're loud and it's not. They're trying to do the news, and we're in there in the morning yelling at each other over Armin's flashy earrings, right? <laughs> like, we've been told many times, can you guys please be quiet from 680 News? Like, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's unfortunate positioning for them. I do feel bad. Uh, but I heard, I'm walking through there, and I hear them doing their update, and they go, Toronto, one of the loneliest places on earth. And I'm like, whoa, what's this? And I was like, like, what's this? Because of my interest. And I read this article, and I just Googled it. I read Google this articles. Uh, this is from the Toronto Star. Um, the Toronto Foundation, which I did not know existed until right now, but uh, apparently uh, the foundation has been tracking quality of life issues in Toronto for nearly 20 years and gathers its own data, including a detailed social survey of more than 4,000 Torontonians in 2022, and they've been synthesizing the research from other sources. But yes, according to them, Toronto is one of the loneliest places in Canada, with residents reporting high levels of depression and anxiety according to this report on Wednesday. Uh, Quote from Sharon Avery, who's the CEO of the Toronto Foundation. Again, a charitable organization focused on building community, uh, and they authored this report. Quote, I think we all thought collectively that once the lockdown was over, we'd see things start to improve. And in fact, we've seen it get worse, end quote. So there's some pretty startling numbers in all this. Again, this is Toronto show, so I'm sorry for those of you that don't listen, live in Toronto, but yeah. 
They're saying that there's a, this is essentially a crisis in the city. Uh, the normal, it, the abnormal high cost of housing, homelessness, climate change, they've converged into what they're calling a polycrisis. According to the report, Toronto residents are withdrawing from communities and from each other, uh, interacting and volunteering less, having fewer friends and fewer close relationships with family members. The number of people in Toronto with six or more close friends declined by 20% from 2013 to 2018, a further 9% from 2018 to 2022. So, yeah, doing the math, 28%. And the same numbers go across relatives too. I, listen, this report, I hope that this ends up getting actually, the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is very real. This is something that, like, we don't talk about enough. Everyone's always like, oh, talk about mental health, mental health, but it always has to be on, like, the one special day that the other telecom decided it was going to be on. It's like, this is real. This is a real thing in the city. First of all, getting a place to live here is an absolute nightmare. I'm so lucky that I inherited a place, essentially, from a friend. I moved in with a roommate years ago, and I was able to get his rent control, and I have a three-bedroom place to myself with access to the subway, access to a park, like just a dream, a dream, 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 dream. But that place now goes for actually more than I would ever want to pay for rent. I'm lucky because, I, again, I have rent control, but it's impossible to find a place to live in the city, like impossible. And, and we laugh sometimes. We laugh. We go, look at this thing, some blog TO or Toronto Life or some city covering Instagram or TikTok account. We'll put together these like, here's $1,200 a month for a toilet that's in the kitchen that's also your bedroom. <laughs> could you imagine? It's like, that's not a could you imagine. That's a thing that people are dealing with in the city. The homelessness is getting completely out of control. We're not a warm weather city. Like this isn't, this isn't you know, Seattle, California, where like the temperatures are moderate. It's like, no, it's a problem. They have and, no room at the homeless shelter. And you're seeing, there's no room at the homeless shelters. They've already had just like crisis trying to like get hotel rooms for people that hasn't worked out refugee status. We are seeing subways completely taken over by a lot of homeless that have no other place to go that are sleeping on subways and basically filling up the, like it's bad. It's really bad. But this is, this is a, this is a real thing is I think people are going out less. I think they're meeting up with people less. And a lot of times we blame it on like your generation and saying, Hey, it's your generation. It's your generation. It's the, it's the Gen Z's is the Gen Z's that don't want to go out. It's the Gen Z's that just want to stay home. They're the ones who aren't having things. And people like dunking on that and saying like, Oh, in our day and we would go out. It's like, yeah, millennials, you used to go out. Everybody used to do stuff and people have like kids and other lives and these other things. I, I'm seeing that too. I've seen that in steep decline. Getting people out of the house now is way harder, way harder than it used to be. Getting people to actually like go out and do a thing or be within a friend group in this city, it's isolating. There's a lot of people who are from different cities that live here. It's a, you know, uh, a transplant city. It's a transplant city that's really hard to live where you've got a ton of work hours that you've got to do in order just to get by, just to be able to scrape by. So what happens? Like a lot of people end up having to like move out of the city or they got to work their asses off doing potentially two jobs to keep the place that they have. They got to be working with roommates. They, they're stressed out. They're, yeah. They're dealing with a lot here. So I think this is pretty interesting. Anyway, I'm, the, the link, it's, it's all over the place. You can just Google it. But it's like, yeah, if you want to read more about the Toronto Foundation, the Toronto Foundation doing the survey about this being one of the lonelier places in Canada. I can't believe that there are lonelier places in Canada. Like, I, I bet you that if we're looking at this, it's going to be like remote northern communities. That's the only thing that can rival this. Because, yeah, it's a lot of, even think about, and this is a good test. And now it's getting to be colder. So, what, but it's like, look at the streets right now. Look at just busy places. 
Go walk through the city. It's a, You'll be shocked at how many places just end up looking dead right now. And I get it. We get into this funk when winter starts to come as people go, oh, my God, summer's over. And we start to just like go inside and everybody's almost it's like seasonal depression is absolutely real. And it's absolutely something here that you start to see for just like a couple weeks at the very beginning. And then winter happens and no, everyone just accepts like you don't leave your house or whatever. But, yeah, this is the I don't know what a polycrisis is. I mean, I can do the math, I guess, on trying to put the words together. But, yeah. This is a real issue, and, and I, I hope that people take this one seriously, and I hope that people reflect on this thing and do some stuff, and, like, I have to push myself to do it, too, which is, like, hey, leave the house, do a thing, try to be social with somebody, like, try to make an effort to see a friend, because you do have to make that effort, and, and I'm fortunate that, you know, I make enough money that I can afford to live in this city, and I know how hard and how challenging it is for some people, but, yeah, just, like, the housing crisis that we have here in terms of what it costs for a place of living and the toll that that takes on people mentally is like really way too under discussed, way, way under discussed. You look at, yeah, just like trying to make a living and then buy or live in one of these places in the city right now. It is nuts. And yeah, but I, I think that some of this is also the, the loneliness aspect of this is, yeah. Sometimes I think we got to get off our phones a little bit. I'm yeah. not trying to be like Mr. Preachy and Mr. Everything, but yeah, you can, you can get your dopamine hit from your phone. You can have your Netflix account. You can have the comfort of your bed, all those different things. But yeah, just I think just like when I always say you got to work out, you, it, it's, it's painful sometimes to work out. I think it used to be easier to hang out with people because we didn't have as much. But I almost feel like hanging out with people is uh, like a form of working out where you just you have to get out. You have to engage in some kind of community. You have to be around some other people. And, and you've got to resist that urge to just always do the comfort thing because, yeah, just the more and more we're learning about this stuff is that it, it's, it's taking a real toll on people. And if we, again, we care so much about mental health as a society. We always talk this big game about it and people love doing a tweet, but it's like some of this has to be in action and some of this has to be actually like, hey, making sure that you see that friend, making sure that you see that family member, making sure that you actually take that time to not cancel a plan on somebody. And knowing that you're not going to see them for a little while. You know, everybody has to cancel a plan or everything. Everybody, life gets in the way, blah, 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 blah. But I think this is, again, this is going to be like working out. You have to be with your friends. It's like you got to have your yard time. You got to work out. You got to make sure you're healthy. But if you want to make sure your mental health is all right, part of this is just going to be making the effort to actually get out, get off your ass and do something. The part that I don't know how to figure out is what the hell we do about, yeah, these rent costs and these... These property costs, because it's just, yeah, like, uh, you can't afford to live here. I don't know how the hell people afford to live here. I really don't. I know how I made it work, and it was with multiple roommates. And I was on rent that was much cheaper. Anyway, uh, sports. One minute. Deshaun Watson, he's up for the season. Tough pivot, but it is what it is. Poor Browns fans, man. You guys are cursed. You, you guys, you guys are cursed. Deshaun Watson, it's been a nightmare for the entire tenure. And then you finally get a moment with him where you start to talk yourself into the idea of he can actually be somebody for you. You go... Damn, maybe, maybe Deshaun Watson's finding something and he's hurt. And now the guy who just had found his rhythm is not going to be able to find his rhythm. He's out for the season and there go, you're not winning anything. I don't care how good your defense is. You got the greatest defense that ever existed. You ain't winning in 2023 with PJ Walker and you go, well, could they make a trade? No, because the deadline's passed. Could they sign Carson Wentz? No, he actually just signed with uh, the Rams. There's nobody left. (laughs) Ouch. Poor Browns fans. Pray for Browns fans. Subscribe to this podcast. Leave five stars. I'll see you tomorrow for a good hour.